Hey, Peter here. This week we're playing a Talks and Tastings live event that we recorded on October 25th. This one's hosted by Pastor Michael Holman, uh, joining us from Peace Lutheran Church in Allwine, Iowa, and Our Redeemer Lutheran Church in Independence, Iowa. And he came to talk to us about church fellowship. Sorry about the audio quality on this one. Your favorite producer wasn't available to be there for the recording. Enjoy! Recorded live at Tox and Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. Uh, so, Pastor Bird asked me to talk about uh, church fellowship, which I'm happy to do. Um, I think to begin with, I think it's worthwhile to think about what actually is fellowship uh, in, the, in the proper sense. Fellowship is one of those church words that uh, doesn't get used all that much outside of church, actually. Um, I remember always as a kid, the pastor saying, you know, afterwards there's, you know, go downstairs for fellowship and refreshments, and that that, that fellowship and refreshments is something that I only ever heard at, uh, ever heard at church, so it's kind of an old-fashioned word, so first of all, let's talk a little bit about that word, fellowship. Um... Another way that you could do it, like a fellow, is somebody that you're with. Uh, another kind of family of words that's closely related to it would be uh, common. And that actually gets us a little closer to the Bible. Uh, the word in the Bible for, uh, for fellowship is koinonia, and uh, that means holding things in common. And there's a lot of there are a lot of words that are developed out, outside of that uh, word common. So uh, community um, or communion. Uh, these are all words that have to do with being together, and that's at the root of what fellowship is as well. But when we're talking about uh, fellowship in a Christian sense, we're dealing with something specific. So. Uh, the Christian church is not like the JCs or um, the Lions Club or something like that where, uh, you know, if it's something that, that is interesting to you, you sign up for it and you say, okay, I want to be a part of this or something like that. Um, when we're dealing with the Christian church, we're actually dealing with God's action, uh, God's calling. So, uh, first of all, the way that we enter into that fellowship is a little bit different than it would be with other associations. So, the way that God calls us is by bringing God's Word to us, and there's many ways that God can do that. Uh, It's not just the pastor who brings God's Word. In fact, that might not even, uh, that's really probably not even primary. Um, a A great deal of Christians become Christians because their parents uh, preach God's word to their children. Uh, They're not pastors, uh, but they spoke God's word to their children. They brought them to baptism. Um, And so God's action is involved, like we uh, confess with the catechism, that the Holy Spirit calls us by his gospel, enlightens, enlightens us with his gifts, sanctifies us, and keeps us together with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. That's speaking about God's action that he does through people. And he's been doing that ever since the beginning uh, with Adam and Eve. Uh, They were called into fellowship with God 
And so also their children, when they learned of the gospel of the one who would be born of Eve, who would crush the serpent's head, they told their children about that. And that brought them also into this communion, into this fellowship. Uh, and so it is with the Christian church at all times, uh, Old Testament, New Testament, until the end of time, is that uh, people are made Christians through this preaching of the gospel that brings about this, uh, that brings about this unity, but it's actually God who is responsible for it through the human's action. Um, so you might think about it this way, that, uh, that uh, you know, uh, maybe you've heard the phrase, nothing's by accident. And I think that's a good way of thinking. Uh, we're kind of trained in our society to think of luck and unluck. Um, but it's much better, as the psalmist says, that whatever uh, is done, God's the one who does it. And so when you're put into a position to uh, speak to somebody about God's word. This is not by accident. This is something that God brings about. And uh, so also, you know, if you're, if you are uh, blessed by God to be raised in a Christian family, that's not by accident either. God's the one who's behind that to bring you uh, into this communion. Um, also, the nature of the of that fellowship and the communion itself is more than we'd otherwise think about it. So, um, again, it's very different from the JCs or the Lions or whatever, where there's a very kind of surface, uh, there's a surface um, joining. Um, when a person becomes a Christian, we actually have to learn from God's Word how profound that is. So, uh, the Apostle Paul, in his first letter, uh, that's how he actually begins his letter. He says, this one, this Jesus, whom we've seen and whom we've heard and whom we've uh, uh, felt, we announce, we declare him, we proclaim him to you so that you may have fellowship with God as well as with Jesus Christ uh, so that you may have communion. So when a person becomes a Christian, they are brought into communion, not just with a group of people, uh, but with God Himself. Um, and the reason for that is because God uh, brought His Son into the world in order to make that happen. Uh, Jesus is the Redeemer who mediates between God and man uh, in order that we who are sinners may be... Uh, forgiven and covered with Jesus' holiness so that we can be together with God, so that we can have communion with God. And this is something that uh, already takes place in this life. So, God is here tonight. Jesus says, wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them also. Certainly it happens in church. Wherever, wherever God's word is being discussed, uh, God is there. It already happens in this life, but it's going to uh, create, it's going to have a much greater fulfillment in the life of the world to come. So, whenever the Bible speaks about heaven, it always speaks about being in a temple and being together with God. So, uh, a lot of uh, notions about heaven that uh, I, I, I've been teaching, teaching against for 10 years now, 
um, is that when you go to heaven, uh, if you liked farming, then you get to farm. Or if you uh, liked riding horses, then you get to ride horses all the time. And uh, that, that's not true. And the reason why it's not true is that it's not good enough. And it's also just not nearly serious enough. Uh, because uh, heaven is being together with God in His presence. In communion with Him. In fellowship with Him. Not by faith, but by sight. Um, and uh, wherever you read in the Bible about people coming to, into God's presence, it is by no means uh, forgettable. It's totally unforgettable. So if you want to get a taste of that, you can look at uh, God at Mount Sinai. That'd be Exodus uh, 19 and the verses following. And there's uh, tremendous signs there. Mount Sinai is covered in smoke and there's lightning and the ground is shaking. And when God speaks to the people, they're so afraid, they say, Moses, you, you do it. I, we, if we hear another word from God, we're going to die. So the presence of God is a tremendous thing. And in fact, it's so tremendous that if we're not prepared for it, it's actually, it's very bad for us. Uh, it kills us, actually. <laughs> Nobody can see God and live. That's not God's problem, that's our problem. Because we're sinners. Uh, so, uh, communion and fellowship with God is a very far-reaching and important thing. It, it, uh, it has to do with our whole Christian life, right away when we're baptized, all the way up into heaven. It uh, has this uh, communion with God as the really the basis of our faith and of our hope that uh, when we go to heaven that we'll be in communion with God, which will be the best thing that has ever happened to us. We can't really get a good picture of it. Uh, the best that we can do um, is, is uh, uh, try to reach at it. In fact, uh, if you read in like the beginning of Ezekiel, uh, when, the, when the prophet Ezekiel sees God, you get these weird pictures. Wheels and eyes and wheels within wheels. And uh, same thing also with the book of Revelation when St. John is given a vision of uh, Jesus Christ and of heaven and his glory, you get these strange pictures. And I think the only way that I can explain that is they're doing the best that they can with language in order to get across something that can't be expressed. So uh, I guess to maybe uh, make it, uh, to make it uh, a little more elementary, sometimes I, when I'm teaching my confirmation kids, for example, I'll say that uh, being in heaven, being in God's presence, is like being in a tornado, but not being afraid. It's something profound. Uh, nobody is going to be bored when we get to heaven, and uh, we're there before Him. Um, and yet it's, it's something that's incredible and, 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 and awe-inspiring, something certainly to look forward to. Um, uh, another, you know, God is love. Uh, you've heard that, I'm sure. First Corinthians, uh, first, uh, first Corinthians chapter 13 is sometimes called the love chapter. Love is patient, love is kind, that sort of thing. I don't know if you've ever realized that that chapter is actually talking about heaven. Paul's telling us about heaven. And so, you know, and so if you don't like the picture of a tornado, perhaps you've been in one and you really hate it. Uh, um, <laughs> 
That's, that's the other side of it, you might say. Love is patient, love is kind. Nobody has, nobody, it, it has not entered into the imagination of the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. That's from that chapter uh, there in, in 1 Corinthians 13. Um, so, uh, fellowship and communion are uh, uh, very important, very important concepts for uh, simply being a Christian. To be a Christian means that you're in fellowship with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and that's the heart of it. So our, uh, our Augsburg Confession, this is one of our official statements of faith as Lutherans, <laughs> says that it is necessary for church fellowship that the gospel be purely preached and the sacraments administered according to Christ's institution. So that means that uh, uh, what we're talking about here is that uh, communion, that fellowship is uh, first and foremost about this relationship with God and it comes about through the gospel, it comes about through the sacraments that Jesus has given to us uh, which really has the gospel as the content of, uh, of, of those sacraments. Um, so, uh, looking at looking at fellowship that way, uh, all the people who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ are in fellowship. Uh, so, Jesus says that uh, his sheep hear his voice, and they follow him. That's a very if, if anybody if anybody wants to know you know what does it mean to be a Christian, that's a very good passage to go to. Uh, Jesus is the good shepherd, and his sheep hear his voice, so, and they follow him. Uh, so the, the definition of a Christian is somebody who uh, hears Jesus' voice and follows after him, and through that faith in Jesus, they are in communion with God the Father, God the Son, and, uh, and God the Holy Spirit. Um, and they also are fully Christians right away as soon as they have faith they're given everything they're given God himself so again a way that this differs from other associations that might exist you know uh, uh, masons or something like that you have to work your way up into the you have to work your way up into the organization become a 33 degree mason or something like that don't do that you'll get excommunicated um, uh, so uh, but, you know, that's kind of how these organizations work. But with, with uh, being a Christian, it's very different. You're given, you're given immediately all that God has. All things are yours, St. Paul says. Um, and that comes as soon as a person believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, somebody who follows the voice, uh, follows the voice of the Good Shepherd. Uh, that also means that we are not dependent, and this is, prop this is where our Augsburg Confession is really going, we're not dependent upon some kind of association with any outward uh, thing. So the, you know, the Augsburg Confession, this is a good thing for Reformation Sunday, if you observe that today, uh, the Augsburg Confession is directed especially against uh, the Pope and uh, Roman Catholic theology. And uh, the, the Pope says that in order for you to be a Christian, it has to come through him. Uh, he is the successor to Peter, even though he isn't. 
uh, and you have to you have to go through him in order to be a Christian. So when the Augsburg Confession says that uh, it's enough that somebody hears the gospel, uh, that the, the gospel is purely preached and the sacraments are administered according to Christ's institution, they're they're saying something. You don't have to be in this structure that has the Pope at the top and archbishoprics and bishoprics and parish pastors and that your connection then to some parish pastor is what gives you the channel all the way up to the Pope which gives you your channel to God. That's not how it is. Uh, God works through his word wherever it might be and he's not a respecter of persons uh, so uh, where wherever that voice of Jesus might be there you're going to have Christians. So this also means that uh, there are Christians that are outside of the Lutheran Church, thank God. And there are, there are Christians outside of the Missouri Synod, thank God. Um, and the reason for that is uh, because the voice of Jesus is there. So again, when I'm teaching this uh, to my confirmation students or something, I, uh, I, I, I tell them about uh, our, our um, divine service, which they're familiar with. And uh, with the Lord's Supper, you know that after the consecration of the bread and the wine, we all together sing, O Jesus Christ, Thou Lamb of God, that takest away the sin of the world, have mercy on us. And they have that too. Uh, uh, we actually received it from them. It's part of the Western, it's part of the Western divine service. And uh, if there are Roman Catholics who believe this part of the service that they hear every Sunday, then of course they're Christians. If they believe that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, what more do they need in order to be Christians? Of course they're Christians. Uh, now we might uh, we might draw a conclusion from that uh, where okay now it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what any church teaches and that is most certainly not true so uh, uh, it is never errors that leads anybody to truth and there are certainly errors in the Roman Catholic Church and those errors actually militate against that uh, teaching of the gospel that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, they actually teach against that. Uh, this is again right at the, uh, it's, it's appropriate today with the Reformation, it's right, at, the, it's right at what sparked the Reformation to begin with. It was the selling of indulgences. Uh, that if you want to be assured of getting into heaven, then you better buy a plenary indulgence from the indulgence seller. And that's what actually got, that's really what started this whole thing, was a pastoral concern that uh, Martin Luther had, because he had people who would come to him, uh, actually the indulgence seller wasn't allowed in Saxony itself, they, they went out of town to buy these indulgences and they brought them back to Luther and they were proud of them, and, uh, and uh, believed in them, you know, uh, that's the... That's the first commandment, right? You shall have no other gods. And here they are, believing in this piece of paper, which has zero basis in the Word of God. Zero. Uh, and uh, if you believe in indulgences, you are not going to heaven. It is only the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the only way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. So that error, as well as there are many others, and we won't get into all of them tonight, but uh, there are many other errors that militate against this truth. And so it's not like admitting that there are, that there are Christians in other church bodies is like, okay, we just give up and uh, we don't care anymore. Uh, no, it really should be the opposite. That uh, recognizing that there are Christians in other church bodies uh, should make us interested in order to help them, in order to uh, discuss these things with them, uh, so that uh, uh, we help them with their errors and if there should be any errors in our own faith, uh, that we identify these and that we work against these as well. <coughs> There is no Christian, and I'm just, I'm just really uh, paraphrasing Luther here. There is no Christian who is completely free from error. If we were, we would, we would be perfect. Our love, our, our, our faith would be perfect, and our love would be perfect. And that's never going to happen be, uh, in this life, because we have the devil and the world and our own flesh that are, uh, that are always, that are always fighting against that. Um, and so, you know, when it comes to when it comes to church fellowship, it's very important to recognize that there are Christians in other church bodies beside our own, and that is not to their credit, nor to our credit, or to anybody's credit except the grace of God, that He's preserved the saving gospel even in the midst of error, and uh, this is a this is a very blessed thing. It saves people's souls. And uh, that's a very good thing. You know, maybe you've heard before, uh, sometimes pastors will say this, I've heard it before, that, uh, uh, you know, Lutherans, especially Missouri Synod Lutherans, are going to be a minority in heaven. There will be uh, many, uh, many Christians who come from other places. And that's a good thing. Uh, because they believe in the same Lord Jesus Christ that, uh, that we believe, that we believe in. Um, so, uh, uh, that's the first thing I think that it's important to recognize with church fellowship is that uh, there are Christians outside of our church body, uh, but uh, they, they may be mixed with error as well. Um, then, uh, the second thing I wanted to talk about today uh, as well is uh, what happens with our fellowship when... Uh, we get in that when we get into trouble um, And this is something that I don't think it's talked about all that often. I think it's maybe why Pastor Berg wanted me to talk to you about this tonight um, Is uh, when you read the New Testament when you read especially the book of Acts the Acts of the Apostles is the longer name of it if you look at the way that the Christian church was after the ascension after Pentecost and uh, what happened to these people you recognize that they went through a lot of trouble. So, you know, if, if, you, don't, if you don't read the book of Acts, and you maybe are just uh, kind of following along with what the church has given you over the years, it might seem as though they had this kind of meteoric rise into greatness with the apostles, and uh, that everybody who heard them were converted. And that's not the, that's not the case at all, at all. Uh, they were full of trouble and full of conflict. So they got thrown, you know, uh, uh, Peter and John get thrown into prison because of the Jewish authorities and they rejoice 
that they were counted worthy for suffering for the name of Jesus. Uh, when you read about when Paul uh, was called by the Holy Spirit to go to these different places that he visited, uh, very often he would come and he would preach, and after a few weeks, uh, the church there, the Jewish church there, would say, get out. And then they would want him out of town. And they would rile up uh, whoever they could to get him out of town. So uh, Paul says, you know, I was beaten, I was stoned, I was whipped, I was shipwrecked. He went through tremendous things. And the reason why he did is because he was opposed. And the reason why he was opposed was not because he said, uh, you live the way that you want to live and I'll live the way that I want to live, let's just, let's just, let's just forget about it. Instead, the reason why Paul was opposed is because he brought the judgment of God to bear upon his hearers and impressed upon them how they were responsible to God for the life that they lived. They were created in the image of God and they were responsible to God for how they had lived and as, as far as how they had lived, there's no answer. There's no justification for the life that they've lived. That's only possible in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, but when Paul preaches this to people, and if they take him seriously, uh, they react. And the reaction is not pretty. Uh, it's violent. Um, so that can and still does happen today. And this is, I think, where we've been misled. Uh, by a pious desire, our, the, the pious desire has been to grow the church. And uh, we want the church to grow. And perhaps we want the church to grow at all costs. And so if there's anything that's disagreeable or anything that uh, uh, we, uh, you know, have a hard time understanding or something, let's just, let's just, we'll either put that in the back room and we'll give it to the people who are properly initiated in a very careful way. Or, and this is more common, we'll just not deal with it at all. We'll just kind of scratch it out. Um, so that you actually find a lot of Christians are surprised to find out what the Bible actually says. And what, what God actually does in the Bible. Uh, for example, that uh, when, when God brought the Israelites into the Promised Land, He told them to wipe out the Canaanites. Don't make friends with them. In fact, them making friends with them is the reason why God's judgment fell upon the Israelites. Uh, or, for example, and, and uh, the words of Jesus are by no means excluded from this, uh, Jesus says, whoever loves father, or mother, son, or daughter, husband, or wife more than me is not worthy of me. Uh, he says, uh, uh, when, his, when his mother and brothers were coming to take him away because they thought he had gone crazy, uh, Jesus says, uh, and, there, and somebody said, oh, your mother and your brother are outside, they're waiting for you. And J Jesus looks around at people like you, I'm not related to you. And he says, here are my mother and my brothers. And it's not very sentimental, you know, for if, if family first, right? Family first. And here Jesus is, Jesus is breaking that rule. He's saying, those who love Him, those who love the Father, have a closer relationship than even blood. Uh, he says that there will be disagreements within one, one's own household. 
uh, fighting within one's own family, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, uh, 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 son against father. Jesus in that same spot says, I don't think I've come to bring peace on earth. I've not come to bring peace but a sword. So, you know, these, these uh, difficult sayings that uh, Jesus says, we're liable to just kind of, you know, get rid of them. They don't fit in. Let's just not talk about them. Let's not pay attention to them. What happens if you do have somebody who pays attention to them? Um, like Paul did. And this is exactly why Paul was treated the way that he did. It's because he was actually faithful to God's revelation. And because he was faithful to God's revelation, he had people who were ticked off at him. They hated him. Hated him tremendously. And they made it their goal in life to make his life as miserable as they possibly could. What do you do? Um, and, and here's uh, the thing uh, that's key to us tonight. What do you do with fellowship with that person? With the person who's saying uncomfortable things. And I think there's an important text in this regard. Uh, it comes right at the end of your church year. Uh, uh, I think Pastor Berg uh, maybe does this. Uh, it's the, uh, the second to last Sunday of the church year, so it's coming up. And uh, it's from Jesus' talk about the end of the world, and he says that when the Son of Man comes in his glory with all the angels, and all the nations will be gathered before him, he'll separate them like sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats at his left, and he'll say to the sheep on his right, uh, Blessed are you, come and inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food, and I was naked, and you gave me dress, and I was sick and in prison and you visited me and so on and so forth. You know what I'm talking about there? Um, and the, uh, I think what's key there is that when Jesus, you know, the sheep are like, what are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. Um, uh, and I think that comes from simply faith in, act, in action. Uh, you know, saints don't have this chalkboard at home where they're, where they're counting up the good works that they do. They just do them because that's what that's what they do. Uh, um, so when they're like, "What are you talking about, Jesus?" Uh, uh, he says, "In so far as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it unto me." So what does that mean? In so far as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it unto me. And I think what Jesus is speaking about there is actually these Christians who stick their neck out. And they are therefore attacked and punished by the devil, the world, and, the si and, and, and our sinful flesh, which do not want the gospel to be heard. They want to shut up. That's the reason why the, that's the reason why Satan persecutes. Is he wants to he wants to frighten people so that they quit talking. But if somebody has the gall to stand up and say this word, uh, even though the devil is raging and fuming and say this word that brings about his defeat uh, and our victory uh, and, and they therefore get punished. And that punishment can be all kinds of things. It can be, uh, it can be the removal of a job. Uh, I was just talking to my brother-in-law uh, this last week and uh, it's not his company but he works for a company and he's he said there's these other companies and they say, oh let's find out your product and stuff like that. And they have to do it in order to make a sale, 
but these other, when you tell them what you're going to do, you basically teach them how to do it, and then they do it. So they're stealing, you know? So if you work for the company that's stealing, what are you going to do? You know? Will you quit that job? Will you say, no, I'm not going to steal? Well, if you do, you're going to be punished. And how are you, as a Christian, going to treat that person? Uh, uh, when somebody is standing up for what is right and what is godly and, and therefore get into trouble, and this can happen at any kind of scale. It can happen within a family. It can happen inside of a congregation. It can happen inside of a synod. If, if, if there's somebody who does that and they are therefore uh, you know, put in prison, are you going to go visit them? And here's the problem, is that it's all, not always very clear about, uh, you know, um, it's not like when persecution happens in the, in the church that it's all shiny and nice. Uh, it's always a little messy. Because also, they're human beings too, you know? So uh, I often hear this and I just hate it. Uh, you know, a, a lot of times this does happen to pastors. Pastors, for example, say, stand up for something that they should stand up for because it's right. And uh, therefore it causes problems in their congregation. Maybe they get brought on uptown even. Um, and then you'll get somebody who will come along and they say, well, you know, he could have gone about it in a better way. And uh, that statement is impossible to refute. What can't be done better? You know? Uh, the fact that it's done is more important, actually. Um, and, but, but with that statement, you know, oh, he could have done it better. There's a lot of times there's truth in it. So, you know, what are you going to do? Are you just going to, like, you know, give him the cold shoulder? It costs you to visit them. <laughs> It costs you and your reputation to fellowship with them, uh, to just kind of cut them off and and say, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna just look out for myself, because <laughs> that's what it is. I'm just gonna look out for myself. Uh, that's that's pretty easy to do. Um, sticking your neck out for somebody else—that's that takes a lot of courage, and you also have some mighty enemies who will fight. Uh, every inch of the way so that you don't do it uh, and it's very difficult you know uh, this is why the old saints in our church the old teachers the old ones who have gone through a lot they say it's very uh, it's very difficult uh, Paul himself says that it is only by many trials that we enter into the kingdom of God there's no you know Jesus again I mean uh, Jesus says uh, the way uh, the way that is broad, the broad is the uh, gate, wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many enter in thereby. Narrow is the gate, and hard is the way that leads to, e uh, to eternal life. Um, and it has to do, and it has to do with uh, this Christian courage to stand up for what is right and to be a friend, particularly to the ones who need it. Um, especially when it costs you something. 
these are the these are the kinds of challenges that come into uh, communities and into congregations and such that really prove their metal, um, and they're not altogether bad. Uh, good also is worked out of them. Paul says that there has to be divisions among you in order to determine who's genuine. Divisions have to come in order to prove who's genuine. It's not like these that we can figure out a way that we can totally uh, get rid of them. They're always going to come. Um, the important thing is that you're prepared in order to uh, act in a godly way when they do come. Uh, and this can extend by beyond our church body. Uh, you know, I just, I'm going to be a little bit of a hypocrite here because I said that saints don't, uh, you know, blow trumpets about their good works. But just as an example, and I think it's a good example because it's kind of messy. Um, there was a news story that I read, I think it's probably a couple years ago now. There was a Roman Catholic priest in Michigan uh, who unfortunately, dreadfully, uh, there was a young man who committed suicide in his, uh, in his uh, parish. And uh, so he did the funeral. And in his preaching, he was very gentle. He's, much, he's actually much more gentle than I, I think I would have been. But yet he still got it across that this is not right. It is not right to take your own life. Uh, that family got so angry at that priest that uh, they sued him and they sued the diocese. They sued the, the, the uh, bishopric. Um, and unfortunately, that bishop and his organization did not stand behind him. Uh, instead, they like shuffled him off to, oh, he won't be doing any services until he goes through some sensitivity training or something like that. Um, I, was, I was so angry. And, oh, by the way, and it wasn't just that. Uh, he also preached the gospel in this sermon. Uh, there were some barnacles on it, to be sure. Uh, but he preached the gospel in this sermon, and it made me angry that uh, these people did not stick up for him because he was actually doing God's work. It is God's work when people are brought to repentance. And it's God's work when they're brought to faith in Christ. And a lot of times that hurts. It hurts to repent. Uh, so he was doing good work in this. Uh, so I, you know, I wrote a letter to the congregation and I wrote a letter to the bishop and I said, you guys are, you guys are, are, are uh, fighting against the kingdom of God by not supporting this man. He did what was right. Uh, now, again, that's not that big of a deal because it was really no skin off my back. I don't have, you know, there's really no, there's really no consequence to me to say that. But the reason why I bring that up is because you also are going to have a lot of people in that scenario who are going to say, they're going to, they're going to wring their hands and they're going to say, oh, but suicide is a dreadful thing. <coughs> you know, maybe we just shouldn't say anything about it. And, you know, uh, I can, I can... That there's there's plausibility to that, you know. I know how dreadful it is. It makes my skin. I just can't stand it. Actually, uh, it's terrible. Um, but if we're all just wringing our hands and not actually preaching what God's will is, that He does not want us to murder ourselves, which is, you know, actually, if we uh, suicide, it's one of those words like fetuses. Uh, that uh, plays tricks on people. If we called them babies, we wouldn't be so quick to abort them. Instead, we call them a fetus. What's a fetus? 
so also with suicide, it means uh, you uh, kill. But it's Latin. We don't get it. Uh, our language comes from German. The, this word in German is Selbstmorder. Do you hear it? Selbstmorder. And that's what it really is. Uh, so that we turn people against it, for crying out loud. I mean, uh, uh, so that we turn them to life in, instead of death. Death is never the solution. Um, so, uh, so I wanted to, you know, the, is, the, with the second part here, I wanted to speak about how um, church fellowship is, can cost you something in your life. Not can, actually. Uh, it will cost you something in your life. Uh, unless, unless you just stay quiet and, uh, uh, and, and, and not have anything to do with it. But that's really not bringing, that's really not uh, uh, making the kingdom of God go forward. Um, which can be scary, you know? So again, I mentioned that the devil's uh, strategy in persecution is to make people frightened so they shut up. So they won't open their mouth to speak about the full and free salvation that is for all people in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he wants them to shut up. And, uh, uh, but we need not fear. And, you know, again, this is a great Sunday for that. I'm sure you're all saying a mighty fortress is our God. Realize what's that saying. You didn't? Oh, okay. Next week. Maybe you didn't next deserve week. it. Next week. Oh, okay, next, next week. week. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Yeah, look. Oh, yeah, it's true. We observe this. So we do We do the Sunday before so that uh, the whole congregation hears. But anyways, when you do sing, A Mighty Fortress is Our God this next Sunday, um, uh, realize what it's saying. If uh, the devil, uh, if, if the world should be filled with devils, all eager to devour us, full of demons, all eager to devour us, and Satan himself is raging and fuming. Uh, we fear no ill. Uh, he shall not overpower us. Uh, we, have, we have the victory. The victory has been won. The kingdom ours remaineth. Jesus is our champion there on the side by our plane with his good gifts and spirit. Um, and so uh, we need not fear. Even though this is difficult and uh, challenges us, and it's hard because we don't, we lack courage and stuff. Well, realize this is how it was for Peter and Paul and all the rest too. It wasn't. Don't think. And if you read, if you read the scriptures, you know this is true. They're not supermen. They're not like bounding over mountains with a single with a single leap. They're human beings. And, uh, and that's how God works. He works through great weakness. Uh, Paul once prayed to God. He wanted to be a little bit stronger. Remove this thorn from my flesh. And the Lord said, no, my, my grace is made perfect in weakness. My power is made perfect in weakness. Um, so uh, though it is challenging, uh, you don't need to fear because for heaven's sake, you have the creator of the universe on your side. This creator of the universe that one day you'll be in communion with. And you'll see face to face. He's on your side. Believe in it. Um, and this is one of the very important reasons for us to fellowship 
to have communion with one another is so that we can speak with one another and that we can encourage one another in this task because we all need it. Uh, we all need we all need to uh, be uh, helped by one another and encouraged by one another, strengthened by one another, um, especially when the going gets tough and you're suffering. Uh, then you really need you really need help, and uh, that's what your fellow Christians can do for you, is they can help you. So I think uh, I think those were the couple main points I wanted to talk about with uh, fellowship tonight. Uh, I'd be happy to entertain any uh, comments you might have or questions. Yeah. Okay, so one of the things that actually happened in, in this bar just a couple weeks ago, I was uh, in a discussion with a, one of my friends who is not Missouri Standard Lutheran, um, and we were talking about different doctrines. You know, he actually came from the EL, ELCA side, and I was coming from the Missouri Standard Lutheran position. Okay, and I believe he's a Christian, you know, but the, the doctrines we were talking about, closed communion, we were talking about, you know, some other things. And basically, you know, there was not going to be a reconciliation of, of ideas here. Yeah. You know, I, I still want to be in fellowship with them. We, we ended things on a, on a good note, you mm -hmm. know. But how do, as, as a Christian, how do you, um, you know, still, you know, communicate those beliefs that you hold to be true that are, are scripturally based and that, you know, that this is an error, you know, without making things contentious or without, you know, those lines being, you know, um, really turning ugly. Yeah. I guess what are some recommendations there? So I think uh, I think the most important thing, and it sounds trivial, but it's not, uh, is to pray for wisdom. So um, uh, Martin Luther has a, has three. Uh, maybe you've heard this before. He had three steps for for anybody to become a theologian. Uh, oratio, meditatio, tentatio is the Latin, um, which is uh, prayer, meditation on God's word and testing and uh, he said uh, the way that you become a theologian which by the way people are scared off by that word anybody who says anything about God is a theologian uh, I don't care You're, there are good theologians and bad theologians <laughs> but everybody's a theologian um, so in order to become a good theologian um, uh, pray consider God's word and God himself will actually give you the tentatio you don't have to go looking for it. And that tentatio, that temptation, that difficulty, it's kind of a hard word to translate, that hard time is actually going to drive you back to prayer and God's Word. Um, and that's where you really learn. Um, and this is something that Luther learned in, uh, by experience. Uh, he, you know, he was a reformer because he had to be, because people attacked and he had to know, is this true? And so he had to go looking. Um, so, you know, that's always the thing to, I think, when we're engaging with other uh, Christians, is that uh, we pray for wisdom, and that uh, we're always growing in the Word of God. Um, and uh, uh, because the reason why wisdom is so necessary is because... Um, like Paul says, don't, you know, Paul says, uh, don't start useless arguments. Uh, um, that's a bad thing. It actually, the useless arguments drive away people. Uh, um, 
but other times you need to, to speak a word of judgment and actually let it stand and not, um, and not uh, uh, explain it away or soften it. Uh, sometimes God's word has to sit on a person's heart for years. Uh, I mean, I can speak even from personal experience that uh, a word stuck in me like a hook for years uh, before, you know, it kind of had its intended result. So, you know, Paul in Corinthians says that I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the increase. It may very well be that the word that you speak is a beginning and you're not going to see, you're not going to reap. Somebody else is going to reap from what was, you know, from what you sowed. Um, and, uh, uh, um, uh, you know, on the other hand, too, uh, so, you know, sometimes we have to, sometimes we have to let a word sit, a word of judgment, which I think is really what's hard for us. Um, we like to get along because we're actually, I mean, for, if, for no other reason, because we're selfish. And it, your life is a lot easier if you get along with everybody. Um, uh, uh, that, that, that word of judgment is, is difficult for us. Um, uh, on the other hand, you know, um, I know personally that I've been wrong about things and uh, have been treated gently by people in the church in spite of my false notions and have grown and I'm thankful for them but I'm also thankful that they said something too you know it's uh, uh, God's word being silenced is the worst thing it's just horrible um, and when it comes to church fellowship you know something else we could talk about with the ELCA and our recent history is the ecumenical movement that was especially strong in the 1900s where let's bring all the churches together and the way that you bring all churches together is you actually quit speaking about the issues because if you talk about the issues you're going to disagree so ironically they all came together by not speaking God's word that's not good uh, strong fellowships come from uh, from a reaching out and a uh, shared love of the truth uh, that's that's where uh, true true fellowship is is when you love God's word and you find somebody else who does too and uh, and so you you discuss it uh, you discuss it with one another um, you know as far as the ELCA is concerned uh, that is a uh, deeply troubled church body on on many accounts you know it's good to be aware of that uh, as far as the you know uh, and you know my my whole mom side is the ELCA too you know so it's uh, uh, but uh, it's it's important to know that uh, if beyond the other things like the morality issues and such, um, at their latest convention, they had the convention the same year we did, so last year, last summer, um, they discussed and passed a resolution that basically said that uh, we won't say anymore that salvation is only through Jesus alone. Um, uh, there was a there was a Christian man who stood up and said, well, Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. But this document was written in such a way that basically will endorse all religions, even if they don't preach salvation in Jesus Christ. That resolution passed by over 90% of the delegates. 
It wasn't even, in fact, again with what we're talking about, that guy was shamed. The guy who stood up and quoted Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. The next two, three speakers were like, oh, I wish we didn't have people like that in our church body. It's, you know, so backwards and bigoted and, and, and you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, good for that man. I want to be in fellowship with somebody like that. You know, that's the thing. It, it, it divides. Uh, it divides. Uh, it's like Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. Uh, but the world does get divided by these things. Um, um, so, I don't know if that's a question that can be easily answered, you know. Um, but those would be a couple thoughts I would have with that. Yeah. Uh, just uh, picking, backing on that a little bit. Um, up in Charles City, on uh, November 14th, Isaac Johnson will be installed as their pastor. Um, the large part of that congregation actually left the ELCA several years ago. And so, well, a lot of our conversations go a lot like yours, and we're obviously disappointed. Um, they actually left the ELCA, and they didn't know where they were going. Um, and in the process of talking uh, with our district officials, with uh, examining doctrine, they actually said, we actually want to be uh, in fellowship with Missouri Synod. They want to be what you guys are in Latimer, what we are down in Alderman Buckeye, what you guys are in Oline. And uh, I don't, I think that most of the time it just seems like things are continuing to spiral out of control because we see the way the culture is going, we see uh, the hostility against the true church uh, becoming uh, more and more pronounced, uh, and we can kind of get uh, disheartened uh, to the point where maybe we do want to take that quietest uh, path. And here, if we had not been talking, if we had not been going confessing, uh, maybe we wouldn't have the opportunity to have this joy uh, with our brothers and sisters up there in Charles City. And so um, the uh, installation will be on a Saturday, and I, I think that some of those conversations that could happen there, uh, I don't know exactly what's going to happen after service, but I, I think that that would be a special encouragement to them because they've had a very lonely way, I think, to realize that uh, the doctrine in your church is not, uh, is not right and then to be seeking fellowship but not actually know where you're going to go. Um, that's a pretty, <laughs> that's a pretty uh, trouble, troubling path, uh, much more so than, uh, than the path that most of us have probably had where we've been in the Missouri Synod for a while and we have, um, uh, we have a synod that is, uh, that is stable and we know who we're in fellowship with. We know uh, kind of where the, uh, the, the, the uh, bounds and limits of that are. Uh, whereas they, they left and they didn't know uh, where they were going. They just knew that they couldn't remain in fellowship uh, with the ELCA. And I think that there's been others, I don't know exactly what all of their story is, that, uh, that have joined with them. Uh, thanks be to God. And uh, it's, it's nice to see, um, uh, it's nice to see some of it going the other way um, because we can be uh, very disappointed. And so whenever we see that, I think that uh, we need to take advantage of the opportunity uh, to enjoy it and, and relish in it um, because it's not, um, it's not, it's gonna, our, our way forward is gonna be a lot more like the book of Acts where we see uh, things that are more troubling. Um, and uh, in the midst of that, they still have opportunities for joy as we leave. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. So just to kind of follow up on, so if you get to the point where it's going to be contentious or, you know, um, is it just a cop out to say, let's agree to disagree? That's kind of a coined term or a kind of popular term. Yeah, I think it is. 
Um, I mean, if it's if it's about like what color the walls are or something like that, yeah, sure. But uh, if it's something that God's word speaks to, um, I think you have to say what God's word says. Right, but after you have gotten that conversation in, and you're still, you know, at very much odds, <coughs> mm -hmm. yeah. What do you do then? I mean, do you um, stop fellowship with them? So um, um, maybe the maybe this there's more to the scenario, but uh, that you have in mind. Um, but uh, you know, if if you if you are dealing with somebody who's who is stubbornly um, resisting God's commands and or promises, uh, you you have to you have to let that judgment stand, and that would be. You know that's the that's the other side of the of the office of the keys that um, every Christian is able to forgive the sins of somebody who is repentant and every Christian is able to bind the sins of somebody who is unrepentant. Uh, uh, so long, of course, as this is according to God's word, it's really God's word that's doing it, um, not not the person. Um, uh, it's going to. It's going to. I think you know what what that would look like as far as your relationship with the person. Again, I think it's really important to pray for wisdom. Is um, it ever appropriate to say that? That's a. I guess. Yes, I think it is. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's absolutely necessary. No, I mean that we agree to disagree. No, I don't think. It's no, never. Sorry. Perfect. Yeah, so. I don't think you should say that. I'm, again, assuming, of course, that it's something that. Is actually spoken about by God, yeah. and that's one of you know. So the uh, uh, mentioning the Missouri Synod, um, you know, our roots go back into the 1800s, and there were already Lutherans in this country uh, out east, uh, but they were they those Lutherans are now in the ELCA, uh, literally, um, where they were kind of like, well, maybe we can. Get along with people who don't believe that baptism saves and stuff like that. And uh, the Missouri synods were very. The, the Missouri synod and those who are like-minded with them said uh, it's it's part of our constitution that you not be engaged in unionism, which is joining together with people that you aren't in agreement with, pretending that you are. It's it's really just dishonest. I think you know that if you're maybe looking for a north star, that might be your north star is honesty. Try to communicate as honestly with that person as you can, regardless of, of yourself. Um, uh, you might have to suffer, but it's okay. You know, just try to be as honest as you can in communicating the truth to them. And they might think you're a jerk or whatever. But um, but yeah, you know, the, the Missouri Synod's history is that uh, um, we are going to be very sure about what we believe and uh, and not ashamed of it. And uh, um, uh, there were other people who were like that too. And uh, that's kind of you know what's what's great about the Missouri Synod is not I don't I don't care anything about the Missouri Synod except that uh, we have the truth, which is not like some absolute possession of the Missouri Synod. Uh, what makes the Missouri Synod good? is the confession of faith that we have. And uh, uh, the Missouri Synod can go who knows where. The truth remains the same, you know. Um.
Sorry, I went kind of on a bunny trail there. Yeah. So I was speaking with a family member last weekend, and they were they grew up in the Missouri Synod Lutheran Church, and then they also were confirmed in the Missouri Synod, Missouri Synod. And then they, as they went off on their own and they found a new church, they said, that was the church where I found Jesus. I guess I was very silent at that time because I was just taken back, but what, how do you respond to that? You know, um, so it, 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 people's words can sometimes be imperfect. So when with them saying that they might mean something actually a little bit different than the way that it sounds to us. It's certainly not true that there is no Jesus among us. Uh, 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 we have the gospel and the sacraments and what, what other Jesus might you possibly be looking for? Um, but they might, be, they might be saying something with words like that, like um, actually, I was an unbeliever, and uh, it happened that I became a believer in this other church body, um, which I think we have to be thankful for, even if there are some, um, again, like barnacles, uh, uh, you know, that, that are stuck on. Um, uh, Missouri Synod saves absolutely nobody. Nobody's going to be saved by the Missouri Synod. It's only the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, again, that doesn't mean that the errors don't matter. If you know, if your friend says, "Oh, water baptism is is nothing; it has to be a baptism by the Spirit," uh, then tell your friend you're wrong. Uh, Jesus says, "Whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved." Uh, they baptized with water. There isn't these. There aren't two baptisms. There's one baptism. It's a baptism with water. You know that kind of thing. To discuss it with them, but, or you know, but again, with words being that way, uh, it you know, she maybe means something evil by it too, but but you know, not necessarily. <coughs> would be what I would say. I don't know. All right. So any other comments or questions? All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, on Twitter at clericalheirsp for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.